Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So welcome along to Hills. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Dave, and uh, it's my privilege just to be able to not only lead, but be a part of this awesome church that God is building and doing great things in. Uh, exactly 24 hours and now 19 minutes ago, Leona Stewart was going to be preaching at Verdun. Um, but unfortunately, at really at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, her father passed away over in Germany. And so she's sort of in a bit of a frantic mode of trying to get things sorted and, and get herself over there. So... Uh, I'm preaching, which I'm not, I'm not unhappy about because <laughs> I do love preaching God's Word. But I thought it would be important if we just took a moment and lifted up the stewards in prayer, yeah? Because uh, it's, it's been a, a big journey with her dad. Um, and uh, he actually looked like he'd turn a corner and was doing really well. And so it came as a real shock. So please keep them in your prayers. And let's pray for her right now, hey? Lord, we thank you for the Stewart family. We thank you for Leona um, and Josh, uh, Elliot, Hayden and Cassie. And Lord, we just pray for them right now. Lord, we ask your peace that passes all understanding to come and rest upon them. Lord, we thank you. Uh, as we've already heard, that you are with us, that you love us, that you are for us. Jesus, we praise you. King Jesus, have your glory in all of this. And I pray that as they head over to Germany and they take time with family, that it would actually be a blessing to them, a blessing to the family. Lord, a time of genuine rest and even in sadness, a time of, of joy, knowing that her dad is pain-free and he is in glory and he has found his home. And we thank you that we have the eternal home we thank you that you are preparing a room for us and we thank you that he has uh, earned his reward, just that reward of faith that you purchased for us with your blood. So we love you, Lord, and we commit him to you. Thank you for family. We thank you that the church is family and that we get to wrap each other up in times of difficulty and celebrate with each other in uh, times of strength. And so we just wanna do that now and bring her before you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said... Amen. So we are, we're in the, in the book of Acts. We're in a series on the book of Acts. And this morning, last week, we looked at Acts chapter 12. We're gonna jump forward a little bit because last week we looked at one more miracle. Amen. Who got blessed by that as the Lord just brought us to this place of resting in Jesus and believing that as we wait on Him and pray that God is the God who does still do miracles. There's still a work in the world today. And we looked at the fact that this was the last miracle we saw in Peter's life. And I said to you there, I said, we're gonna see Peter only one more time in the whole book of Acts and that is in Acts chapter 15. So I wanna come to Acts chapter 15 today and have a little look at this and explore a really significant moment in church history. Probably, I would, well, it's hard to say the most significant, but this is, this is where the church is on a knife edge. And we'll see this in a second. This is hugely significant. So come with me to Acts chapter 15, Reading from verse one, I'm 
actually reading from the, the ESV here. Sorry, Jared, I forgot to tell you that this morning as you were putting that in, but you can follow along. It says this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So context, right now, where have they come from? Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, okay? And what's happened is they've just been on this incredible missionary journey. They've taken the gospel out to what is called Gentile, which means non-Jewish people. And so they've taken the reality that Jesus has come to fulfill everything that God has done And it's no longer just for the Jews, but it's for everyone. That salvation is for all who would believe, right? And as they've gone out, they have seen incredible things. Like they've seen miracles. They've seen radical salvations. They have seen God move powerfully and they've seen the gospel be embraced by the Gentile population. So they've come back and they're pumped, right? Who would not be excited about that? They're really, really excited. But then there's this group of people who have concerns, devout Jewish Christians who are like, hang on, hang on, hang on. In order to be, like, what are we to do with the whole Moses thing? Like, what are we to do with the law? What are we to do with the, the old covenant, as it would later be called? What are we to do with this whole practice of how we engage God? that we've known for literally thousands of years. And now you're going out and saying, anyone can come in. Like we're not, five years ago, we didn't even associate with Gentiles because it was forbidden. But there's this tension, you with me? There is a deep tension that underlies this. So unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas, what underline this, had no small dissension and debate with them. That means they had a they had a row. <laughs> ben just said, send them to peacewise. <laughs> Paul, that was good, Ben. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So I love that even when they're on their way to deal with the issue, they're still preaching the gospel. (laughs) When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, everyone say debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, this is Peter, who'd been redeemed, who'd been just only a few, a short time ago, radically saved from impending death. Peter stood up and said, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that my mouth, through my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts chapter 10. 
And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Let's pause there. Lord, bless your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that it's alive and active. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if... um, do I have any stubborn people here today? I'm going to give you just another second to admit that. One of the things that I just really appreciated right there was how many, how many people just looked at their partner like this. <laughs> and you didn't see it, but I saw it everywhere. That was hilarious. Uh, second question, do I have any competitive people in the house? Do I have any stubborn competitive people? <laughs> Love it. Do you know, um, just this week, Joe and I went and saw Mary Poppins, the musical. Great musical, really good fun. Uh, and as we were looking for a car park, we found ourselves in the Festival Theatre car park, which according to Google Maps, has a, zero, has a one star rating. I don't know how a car park gets, well, actually, I do now know how a car park gets a one-star rating. So we found the park beautiful. It's like, great, we got in there. The problem is after the show, because you've got like a couple of thousand people leaving one car park all at the same time, which never happens in new parks, right? So everyone goes into the car park, everyone leaves at exactly the same time, which means nobody's going anywhere. It's the good old true definition of a bottleneck. And so we're sitting in our car, it was hilarious. We're sitting in our car and I reckon we were there for probably half an hour and I don't think we moved one metre. But the best part about it was we watched so many people getting so angry and frustrated about this situation because picture, picture like a T-junction, right? So there's, there was, here was the wall and so there's cars parked there. There's this little road coming this way Little road coming that way and we're all trying to go up that way. We were here, there were cars here, (laughs) there were cars here and there were cars parked here. And so we're facing another car right there. There's another car right here and there's a car right here. And as we're facing this car here, two young girls sat there for about 10 minutes and I reckon every 30 seconds, they just nudge forward, just a millimetre, just a millimetre, just a millimetre, which meant this guy, this car who was facing this way, as he saw them, you could see his face, he's doing this. And so he starts nudging forward, just a millimetre, just a millimetre, just a millimetre. The car in front of us is trying to get further and further up. Also, millimetre, millimetre, getting closer to the car in front. And then something happened and it was glorious. This car, these two young girls, it was like they just decided we're doing it. And they've just gone vroom and just driven. (laughs) And like, basically, they only had about two metres, but they just committed. They're like, we're going to be next. So they've just gone and they've got like bumper to bumper with the car in front. And this guy, who was very desperate to be in front of this girl, wasn't having it. 
I wish you could see his face. And so his face, he was just furious, right? That this person would possibly drive two metres and get in front in the line of them. And so he starts moving forward even closer and closer and he's in like a four wheel drive. She's in this tiny little car. I thought he was gonna drive over her. He gets right up and I kid you not, he would have been kissing the car and he was just staring through the window, just looking at her. And it was, she was sitting in the car like this, like feeling his presence and she was just like this. <laughs> I've committed and I'm not going and I'm not gonna look at him. He's got his arms wailing everywhere. Now we are in the car losing it. Just having a great time laughing at this whole situation, thinking, look at how angry and upset everyone is about one metre. We're going to get out of this car park eventually. And it really, you get to a point where you're like, does it really matter whether you're in front of that car or behind that car? Because in the grand scheme of things, we're sitting here for another 25 minutes because it's a one star car park. Guess what? We got out. Everybody got out of the car park. We were laughing. They were really, really angry. And Mary Poppins, which has a beautiful message of fun and hope, was ruined (laughs) for people because of a car park. And you get to a point in life where you just think, is that battle really worth it? Like there are certain things in life that are just really not worth being angry about. Now, for us stubborn, competitive people, that can be a very difficult pill to swallow. Amen? Amen? (laughs) Because sometimes we're like, someone can say to us, for God's sake, it doesn't matter, mate. Like, just let it go. But for us stubborn, competitive people, and I'm throwing myself in that box, we're like, but it matters to me. And therefore, I want to get angry about it. But the truth is that in life, friends, and we all know this, that while we get razzed up and frustrated and, you know, angry about a whole heap of things, while we want to have certain fights, and that guy wanted to have a fight, while we want to fight a lot of different fights, the reality is that many of times in life, we need to take a leaf out of Elsa's book and just let it go, don't we? Like there's so many situations in in life that are just molehills that we turn into mountains and we get stubborn and we wanna fight over it and it truly doesn't matter. How many of you as a parent have had a moment with your children where you have said these words, oh, who cares? As they're fighting over the level of Nutrigrain in the bowl? Or who had more holiday cereal than the other one? I know my mum, she's here today and she said that to me about a thousand times because I'm a stubborn competitive person. There are things in life that just don't matter. But church, how many of you know that there are some fights worth having? There are some things that we need to unapologetically and unashamedly put our stake in the ground and say, "Uh uh-uh, I am not bending here. Amen? 
And as we come to Acts 15, I want you to understand that this is a fight worth having. And if you're a note taker, that you can put that right at the title of this message, a fight worth having. There are some battles that are worth fighting. There are many battles that are worth letting go. And I think the problem in the church today, the problem in our world today, so often we fight the fights that aren't worth having. Like we dig our heels in over things like preference, but then we actually bend and bow to things of purpose. So we're fighting the things we shouldn't fight and we're, we're kneeling to the things that we should be standing on. We, we've missed it. And as a, as a church, I want us to be a church that's able to, hey, there's some things that aren't worth fighting for, but by God, there are some things we're putting our stake in the ground on and we're running after. And this is what we see in the book of Acts in the 15th chapter. Because as I said, the context here is Paul's had his first missionary journey. The gospel's gone out to the Gentiles. There's been this incredible move of God in the world and they are living in Antioch. Jared, can we throw that map up? Here's what I want you to understand. Antioch is up here. Can you see that? Jerusalem is down here. That distance is about 500 kilometres. So I need you to understand the passion with which these Judaizers, as they're called, the people who are, who are zealous for the law of Moses, they've become Christian, they believe salvation is in Christ, but they believe there's certain things we should do. These guys are so passionate that they travel 500 kilometres to address the issue. Not by plane, not by car. That's zealous, yeah? So there's a word that's come about what's going on in the world, that the gospel's going out, but that these Gentiles aren't being asked to obey the law of Moses and they are zealous for that. And so they start to move and, and they start to, to say, we need to, to get some order here. We need to correct this situation. So they come and they confront Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas are a people who have seen the move of God. They've seen God at work. And they're like, hang on, you've come up here zealous and passionate to deal with some stuff, but this is a fight worth having. What we know is true, what God is doing, this is really, really important. And so this is a fight we're gonna have. And as we look at this and we look at this story, we're gonna see a few things that are really important for us to know as the church of how to have that fight. Because oftentimes we do it really poorly. But what we're gonna see is both groups, the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas, in fact, the whole church does this extremely well, right? They do it extremely, extremely well. There is tension, there is difficulty, there is a really difficult situation going on in the world. And so they come and here's what we see. The first thing that we see that is so important for the church in learning to have the fights worth having is number one, we actually have to have a conviction. 
about some things. There are some things that we need to have a conviction and there are some things that are important to stand on. There's that old saying that if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul says, that's why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know, know meaning I have experienced, I have intimacy, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him that day. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul had a conviction. Barnabas had a conviction. The Judaizers who had grown up under the Mosaic law and experienced Christ had a conviction. There are some things that we need to get convicted about. There are some things that need to gurgle in our gut. There are some things in life that should fire us up. The church should never just be apathetic. We shouldn't just be going around sleeping, being like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter. No, there are some things that truly matter and we have to have a conviction about it. And so in this passage, we see two groups of people with two strong convictions about the nature of the gospel and how it's worked out. And what that means is now the church is on a knife edge because this group and this group, the easy thing to do is what? Split and go our separate ways. Because when two groups have different convictions, the easy thing to do is to go, oh, well, well, you become you and we'll do it our way. That is not the heart of God ever. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that He would have a unified church, that the church wouldn't be competing against one another, that there wouldn't be clashing against one another, but that we would love one another, that we would build one another up. We might not always see eye to eye on some things, but when it comes to the core things, we actually fight for that. We fight for unity and we fight to do this together. And when it comes to this deep conviction, this this central aspect of what the gospel is, that's a fight worth having. That's a fight worth getting unity on. So they have their conviction and here's what I love. Here's what I love, 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 love. They're not afraid to debate, yeah? They're not afraid to debate. Verse two, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Do you know what? I think sometimes Christians, we're so obsessed with being nice that we think we can't have vigorous conversation about truth. So we don't actually discuss the stuff that matters because we don't want to offend or hurt anybody. But we mustn't be afraid to debate church. We mustn't be afraid to talk about the deep things, but we've got to learn to do it well, yeah? There's nothing wrong with debating. There's nothing wrong with going back and forth. Look, they had no small dissension and debate. 
what that means is they were passionately arguing with one another, right? They were passionately standing their ground on the gospel. This reminds me, right? It reminds me of that beautiful Old Testament passage where it's talking about David's mighty men. And when it talks about David's mighty men, there's one thing that stands out to me. There's this mighty man, his name was Shammah. Everyone say Shammah. And one of the stories said, uh, what made Shammah one of David's mighty men is he took his stand in a field full of lentils. So it talks about the fact that all of Israel was fleeing from their enemy. And then one, like Shammah came across this field full of lentils. And for whatever reason, as the whole army's fleeing, Shammah gets there and he just goes, nah. Bang, this field I will not retreat from. And he turns around and it says, Shammah brought about, the Lord brought about a great victory that day through the hand of Shammah because he recognised this is a field I'm gonna stand in. This is a conviction, this field of lentils. This is a whole different message, right? It's about the harvest and what matters. It's about the, the, the thing that's gonna give life, it's gonna feed the people, the gospel. The field full of lentils represents the gospel. And so it's like, this is something that I'm gonna take my stand. I'm gonna fight, even if, it, if it's a hill I'm gonna die on, if that's what it comes to, because this is so important. So he takes his stand. And this is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're saying, no, we are not bowing to this. I've seen God move. I'm gonna take my stand in this field and I'm gonna be prepared to go back and forth and not allow these these. Judaizers to come and bring division in the church. But look at how they do it. I love this. This is so, so, so good. Watch this. From verse, where we're up to? Verse three. No, no, sorry, verse two. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse six, the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Here's what they do. When there's this conflict and tension, they seek counsel from a council. They seek counsel from a council. They're smart enough to know that this matter is so important, we need the voices of many. And what happens is what is called today the Jerusalem Council. The first gathering of the entire church leadership to come and talk about something that's really, really important. They don't go, right, we disagree, we're off. They have the debate. They don't find alignment. So what do they do? We're gonna rally the troops. We're gonna circle the wagons. This is too important to divide us and, it's, and we're not getting anywhere here. So it's time to seek counsel from the council. So they all go to Jerusalem and they rally everyone. How many of you know that there is wisdom in many godly voices? Five of you. How many of you know there's wisdom from many godly voices? Do you know what? 
As a Baptist church, we love to invite feedback. We love to bring people into the conversation. That's because it's biblical. Because good leadership doesn't just say, I know where we're going and everybody else can get stuffed. Good leadership is recognising there are some things where I need counsel from the council. And we're gonna move forward together, therefore as one in unity, right? And so that's what they do. The whole church gathers to figure this out. Now look, 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 look at this, look at this. The council, how do you get an answer? The answer is based on two things. How do we get clarity? On witness and word. The first witness is Peter. Peter, one of the kids. So they all have a chat. And I don't, we, like, this has gone on for days and days. This is not just a, a one hour meeting or a three hour governing council meeting on a Thursday night. This has gone on and on and on. Lots of voices, everyone. This is an important matter. And then it goes, okay, we're still not there. Peter, Peter, the guy who made that first confession that Jesus is the Christ, the one that, that Jesus said to, on this confession, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Peter, the guy who they'd prayed for to be delivered from prison. Peter, the guy who preached the first message at Pentecost and saw thousands saved. Peter, the key leader in the church, one of the three, right? Peter, now it's your turn. Peter listened before he spoke. If you're a leader, you've got two ears and one mouth. Listen more than you speak in any field. Listen first, listen, take on the advice. But when the conviction of God is there, yes, listen, but be true to the conviction. And so they say, Peter, what do you think? And Peter goes on and he shares what happened in Acts 10. I went to Cornelius' house. I was the guy who didn't, who didn't eat things that were non-kosher. I was the guy who was for the Jews, like this is who I am. But God showed me the, the sheet from heaven and said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And I went and I, I shared the gospel with Cornelius and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he shares what happened. He recounts the story again, which if you read the Scriptures, actually the second time he's recounted it, because it's also in Acts 11. So he shares the story. He brings witness. He brings his testimony and says, this is what I have seen. This is what we, the church, have seen. Witness. And then what happens is Paul and Barnabas get up. And the inference is that though they had the initial debate at the council, they also haven't said anything yet. Everyone's going back and forth. And then Peter shares and they're like, hey, Paul and Barnabas, tell us your story. And they start sharing all the stories of what God has done on the missionary journey. As the gospel's gone out, as lives have been transformed, as the Holy Spirit's come upon people. Powerful stuff. And I want you to see some, oh, this is really good. Watch this. Uh, let's go from verse 11. This is uh, Paul speaking. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will be. And all the assembly fell silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. You know, we love to go to the Greek here. But in the Greek, that fell silent. It means they had 
no argument against it. It's not that they were just quiet. It means that they couldn't speak against the argument. The debate, the argument was so strong that the debate became null and void. They fell silent as they listened to the testimony. Don't be afraid of your testimony. We overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful. Know your testimony, yeah? Know it. Know it in an hour if someone wants you to share it over dinner and know it in 30 seconds. If someone's, be, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Know your testimony and be bold with it and share it. So they have a witness. But look at James. I love this. James, he's the good Baptist amongst them. Because James is, is the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of John, we already saw last week, has been beheaded. This is the, the brother of Jesus, one of the pillars of the church. It comes to him to have the final word. James replied. So after they'd finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, which is Simon, which is Peter, <laughs> has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble uh, those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them. I love this. So there's testimony, there's witness that goes out and then James comes up and he brings the Word. Because if your testimony doesn't align with the Word, then it doesn't have power. Then it's wrong because the Word of God is truth. The Word of God is the foundation on which we stand. And all prophecy and all testimony must align with Scripture. And we see both, witness and Word. Yeah? Peter's testimony Paul and Barnabas' testimony, James opens the Word and says, there it is. It's been in here all along. It's a new covenant. God's doing a new thing, but He's been proclaiming it from the dawn of time. This has always been God's intention. From the moment He created Adam and Eve, from the moment He promised Abraham that He would make him a blessing to the nations, it has always been God's intention to raise up and save humanity. That Jesus was the lamb slain, it says in Revelation, from the beginning of time. It's always been God's intention in Christ and it's all through the Old Testament. That's why the early church who didn't have the New Testament, they wrote the New Testament, could preach the gospel from the Old Testament. Did you hear that? Because Jesus is all through the Scripture. And so they have witness and they have word. James brings it from the book of Amos and it's amazing. And so they're like, boom, this is what's happening. 
we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And everyone just went, what the heck? Hang on, didn't we just conclude that salvation is by grace through faith? And therefore they're free and you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to abide by ritual law. We agreed that. What a wonderful moment. And then James is like, let's write to them to tell them not to do stuff. Confusing? No, it's not confusing. Because what James is doing here is saying, we live in truth, but we walk with grace. Yeah? We live in truth, but we walk with grace. The Gentiles, you are free from Jewish rituals, but I'm gonna ask you to become a slave to Christ and not to allow your freedom to cause anyone else to stumble. Because the whole thing we want here is for Jews and Gentiles to be able to live in harmony with one another. That's been the issue, right? The whole thing was that Jews couldn't associate with Gentiles for fear that they would become unclean. So if the Jewish conviction is, I'm not gonna eat that thing, I'm not gonna do that thing, that's my conviction. What they're asking the Gentiles to do who have that freedom and don't share that conviction is not to become a stumbling block for their brother or sister, but just to say, hey, if that's something that makes you uncomfortable and I'm in your presence, I'm gonna live like that. Not because I have to, but because I wanna honour you. You with me? We live in the truth but we walk in grace. Go to Romans chapter 14 for me. Romans 14, we'll read from verse 13. Paul writing about all this stuff. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Isn't that beautiful? I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And on it goes. What he's saying is, live in truth. Don't be afraid of the debate. Have the conviction. Don't be afraid to go back and forth, but also walk in grace with one another. Be kind to one another. Help one another out. Don't shy away from the chat. Keep doing the journey, but meet them with a hand out that says, hey, I'm gonna meet you halfway. We're gonna walk together on this. Yeah? Yeah? That's a huge part of what it means to be brothers and sisters because we're gonna have times 
the whole church is going to have times where we disagree. Think about Youth Alive last night. I talked to a couple of our youngsters as I picked my youngster up. I was like, there were some kids who finished that like, that was the best thing I've ever been involved in in my entire life. It was awesome. It was loud and it was lights and it was awesome. And then I saw another kid just like five seconds later and says, oh, I've got the biggest headache in the world. <laughs> Not my cup of tea, but does that mean we rebuke it and reject it and say, I want nothing to do with it? Heck no. We celebrate what God is doing. We partner with them. We lay down preference for the sake of purpose so we can walk in what God has got for us. And MG, you can come up and just, we're gonna close in a second. But the last thing I want you to see in this also, because I think this is actually a little bit more than that. Because as you look at the things that James writes and says, don't do this stuff. If you look at this stuff, all of these things are intimately linked with pagan worship. Did you notice that? Every single one of them are linked with pagan worship. So abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, we've looked at that over the many weeks, Asherah, Baal, Moloch, and from what has been strangled and from blood. All of these things are intimately linked with pagan ritual worship. And so what they're saying is this, when it comes to worship, don't dip your toe in things that are gonna draw you away from true worship of the one true God. There are certain things, you are free, yeah? Anything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There are certain things for each of us Every single one of us have certain things that can become vices and hooks that can lead us away from humbly surrendering to the beauty of Jesus and can draw us into valuing something above Him. That's what worship is. And so if there's stuff in our lives that we're dipping our toe into, that we know can become a stumbling block, that we know can become a vice, that we know can lead us to walking away from Him or or putting that above Him, then He's like, then just steer clear of that. Like, I don't know what that is. Each of us have something. Maybe for you, maybe for you it's alcohol. Like, maybe it is that, that the sexual stuff. Maybe it's simply television. Like it could be a, a zillion different things, but anything that can draw us away from the true worship of the one true God is like, don't engage in that practice. It's not good for you because it, it takes away from what you were created for. And we were created to worship the one true God. And as we worship the one true God, which means our lives become slaves to Christ, that's where we find freedom. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. God's heart for us is to be free. And James knows that if the pagans are allowed to continue to practice their old ways, they'll become enslaved to their old ways rather than walking in the freedom of what Christ has bought them. 
So it's like, don't go down that line. You are free, but don't chase after the, the things that are gonna ensnare and enslave you. He's like, we'll deal with the Judaizers because they're, they're snared and enslaved to legalism. So we're gonna deal with that over here. You guys can just as easily be caught up in your stuff. Together, let's bow before Christ. Let's make Him the foundation, the Gospel. Let's stand on the truth, encouraging one another, walking for all that God has done for us. And this morning, around 8.15, church, 8.15 in that room up there, we pray. I would love for as many people as who have a heart to pray to get in that room. It's so important that we pray together. This morning in prayer, there was, a, there was a real picture that came to us and that that would be that this morning would be, the, the, the picture was like running a marathon, right? And when you run a marathon along the way, there's fuel stations. You run and you, there's a chance where there's a bit of water, a bit of Gatorade, maybe a little bit of food that you can come along to one of those stations and you can just get filled back up. And the picture was that this morning would be a bit like that, that there are people here who've been running that race, right? And maybe something, you're just feeling a bit discouraged right now. Think about Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have just been on a missionary trip They have seen thousands come to faith. They've seen the miracle working power of God. They've seen an incredible move and they come back to celebrate. And what's the first thing they cop? Criticism. Anyone been there? You feel like I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm seeing a mighty move of God and all I want is my brothers and sisters to get around me and celebrate me. I expect criticism from outside, but my brothers and sisters, they should be here going, come on, awesome, praise God. Hallelujah, look what He did. And so often what comes instead is the opposite of what we need. It would be so deflating for Paul and Barnabas in this moment. Yeah? Is anybody here with me today? Has anyone encountered that before? I have. It can be so deflating when people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters building up, people you think are with you, bring criticism like it's not even a it's not even a compliment sandwich it's not even like hey awesome job on the missionary trip man we got some concerns around here but praise God for what he's doing like that's a great that's a you know compliment sandwich where there's always a bit of constructive feedback I can take that it's just criticism and it's so easy for them in this space to be discouraged but here's the thing they're not discouraged because this is a fight worth having. They press on to win the prize. They fight the good fight. Paul's like, no, I'm not gonna just allow you to knock. It would be easy. I'm tired. I've been, doing, I've been doing God's work. I could easily blow up. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stand my ground, but I'm not gonna flip my lid. I'm gonna do it biblically. We're gonna call a council so that we can get counsel 
and get wisdom and sort this out because the harvest is ripe. And it's too important, church, to be dealing with issues inside when there's an entire harvest. There's a world that needs to know that Jesus loves them and is for them. And so let's deal with this in a godly biblical manner and let's run. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with the call of God. Let's run together. And whatever we got to do to figure that out, to stand on truth and run in the same direction, let's do it. Because the Gospel is for the world. And I just felt today that God wanted to encourage some of you. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm feeling a bit flat, Dave. Feel like the battery's down to 10% and the light's gone from green to yellow to red. You know, the bar in the top right-hand corner of the iPhone? Anyway. And I just need a bit of encouragement. And I feel like today that's exactly what God wants to bring. That God wants to bring a word of encouragement. He wants to say, you're doing well. Keep running. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep going. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. I've got you. I'm leading you. Stand your ground. Keep going. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would raise up workers. I do want to encourage you today. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Just as we sing this song, if that's you, if you're feeling a bit weary, if you're feeling like, man, I just, I just need someone, I just need the Lord to breathe on that fire a little bit. If that's you right here, I wanna pray for you. And so if you feel comfortable, I'd love just to, because we're with brothers and sisters and I know churches love to say, close your eyes so no one sees. That's rubbish. We're supposed to run this race together. We're supposed to build one another up. And so if you just need a bit of encouragement, I want you to put your hand up and we're gonna encourage everyone today. I'm standing here with my hand up, not because I'm trying to show you to do it, because I need it too. We all need it. So if you need that encouragement, if you need that blessing today, put your hand up. I wanna pray with you. We're gonna pray with one another. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, You are a good God. You love Your children and You love Your church. And Lord, we pray for a spirit of encouragement to come upon the church today. We pray for a filling of Your Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we pray blessing. Lord, we pray favour. Holy Spirit, would you come and remind us who we are as we've already sung today. Remind us of the call. Lord, give us a picture of the harvest. Lord, lift our eyes. Lift our eyes. So we look to the mountains of this world and say, where does our help come from? No, our help comes from the Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Encourage your people today. Strengthen your people today. Empower your people today. Give us vision 
just feel to pray for vision. Sense there's people here who you feel stuck, you feel like you've lost your vision. Maybe there's people in business here today. You know God's trying to, there's something on your heart. It's like you just can't see past this door. You feel like you can't see past this moment, this barrier. There's this, yeah, there's a blockage. Lord, I pray for vision over them in Jesus' Name. Vision over businesses. Vision, Lord Jesus, to see what it is that You're calling us to. Lord, just open the curtains of heaven to get that picture, Lord. And I pray for support to come around people, to raise them up and let them run together, that there would be a counsel that comes from wise counsel. That we wouldn't be afraid to ask for help. That we wouldn't be afraid to go to the the proverbial elders of our world and say, help, give me clarity. We love you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here today who hasn't put their trust in you, anyone here today who is stuck, who doesn't know yet the loving embrace the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with faith right now. Fill them with faith. That they would trust in you for their future, for their eternal hope, to know that a day's gonna come when you're gonna call us home. But if our hope is in you, we have eternal security that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, not even death itself. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Fill them with hope. Fill them with hope. Fill them with faith. We pray. I see faith welling up. Faith welling up in hearts right now like a tall glass being filled with living water, filled to overflowing. Fill us up, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. We love You, Lord. We praise You. We bless You. In the precious Name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. So we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And if you would like prayer, we love to pray in this church. We love to pray with each other. Can we have the the, uh, elders, Chris, Fred, Tim and Rory, if you're here, eldership crew, if you guys can come forward. Uh, and if Brent, yeah, and we'd love to pray with you if you'd love prayer. We'll pray with one another. And if you're someone here who you're like, yeah, I wanna get to know this Jesus. I wanna put my, I wanna know more about him. I wanna put my trust in him. We would love to talk to you. Faith is more in a moment. It's a life call to follow Jesus. We'd love to give you a Bible. And we'd love to encourage you in that way. So we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to bless the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com 
forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.